Abba Father, thank you for an amazing day, allowing me to see your handiwork and, and literally move in the lives of people. Would you bless right now? Teach us from your word. Give us wisdom. Thank you so much for the grace that you've shown us today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So what I'd like to do is still try to mine the incredible text of John 20, 19 to 23. Uh, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hand and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And what I'm really excited about is, is digging into this last verse right now. Verse 23. So let's do that now. How do you interpret, receive, or rather, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. How do you interpret that? What do you do with that? So I want to offer... Uh, some interpretive opinions on what this means, okay? And I'm trying to cover all the bases, all the possible scenarios of what this could with historical, theological sense possibly mean, okay? And I want you guys to figure this out, okay? And nobody can say yes at the end. Which one did you can't say yes? All right, Angela. So number one, interpretation A. This text is about baptism, it's really about baptism. And this is a, like, like someone's the gatekeeper for the church. And baptism tends to be, when you look at the, the New Testament record, baptism tends to be that ritual, that outward ritual that moves you from being an out-group to an in-group person. So some interpreters, you know, Barrett acknowledges this one, that, uh, that, that some folks see baptism here and... Baptism opens or closes the door, right? This one, B, the text is about church membership, okay? This position is argued by Andreas Kostenberg, who states, the same terminology of loosing and binding are used both in legal courts as well as the, to the imposition or rescindment of a ban like you can or you cannot do something, or to a person's expulsion from or restriction to the synagogue. These are the very words that were used letting somebody in the synagogue or kicking them out of the synagogue. And by the way, that is the historical backdrop of John's Gospel. So Andreas is picking up on something. If he's right, if this meaning resonates here, then Jesus, according to Kostenberger, is declaring, Jesus is saying that his new Messianic community versus the old Jewish leadership represented by the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees is authorized to affirm or deny acceptance into the believing covenant community. It's about membership, not just about baptism. So A is baptism, B, the 
this text is about church membership, getting into the new community. Okay? See, this text is about mediating forgiveness between believers and God. This is called the sacramental view of the Catholic Church. Okay? So the view, this view speaks of the internal, in-group dynamics of the church. This is insider language. Okay? This verse comports with the teaching and practice of the Catholic Church, which has a sacramental view, very much akin to what the Old Testament priests were doing. If you're in the Old Testament, would you go to a priest and would he inspect your offering to determine if it was acceptable to God? Sure he did. Was he, was he doing that on behalf of God? Of course he was. Is it possible that he could be an error and let a lamb through that wasn't truly blame, unblemished and maybe turn, turn an eye and kind of ignore one for his buddy and some neighbor? Sure, sure. But it is the Old Testament system, which is very much akin to the, the Catholic system that you go to God through a priest and he brokers or manages this thing. So this really is about the, the idea that a priest... The Catholic priest literally manages the forgiveness process. And he has the jurisdiction to say not forgiven or the jurisdiction to say forgiven. Okay? And he works with those who are called penitents, those who claim to be in the process of repentance and the doing of penance, which is a, it's an action to affirm that your forgiveness is made real. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, according to Matthew 16, uh, 13, 19, and Matthew 18, 18, it says explicitly, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And this is the traditional Catholic view here. Okay? Uh, so this, this implies the church has authority to forgive or manage the process of forgiveness of the sins of other people. D. This text is about discipleship. Discipleship. And how the church, we are corporately responsible for moral formation and creating a moral culture in the church. Does that make sense? Like, for example, no show of hands. <laughs> Surely in a crowd of this size, we're going to have disagreement. So no show of hands. But how many people do you know in church that say, if you drink any form of alcohol at all. You are violating the New Testament mandate to not offend a brother. You're compromising and you're leading your brothers astray and so no alcohol at all at any time in all situations. You have those people in church. And then you have others that say, no, that is not fair. You're, that's an over-strictness. That, that's a, not applying the scriptures correctly. There is room for the consumption of alcohol in a celebratory controlled manner with no drunkenness right and it's fine to do that and if you're around if it's going to be offensive just do it at home don't ask don't tell does paul lay down a rule about meat sacrifice to idols does paul do this binding and loosing sure he does what does he say about meat sacrifice to idols what does he say if it offends someone don't do it don't do it or another rule that, that he does, the binding and the loosing, 
is that if you sit down, if I'm invited to Phyllis's house and, and she and Jim are gonna cook a nice meal and they put down a pot roast in front of me, I don't ask where she bought that. Uh, did you buy that at the local pagan market and dedicated to Zeus? Is, that, is this Zeus meat? What is this, you know? Because at that point, I now cause more trouble to her and her husband than whether or not it was sacrificed to an idol or not. I become a troublemaker by asking if it was sacrificed. So uh, this is an example. So is, is Jesus teaching that it's the church's responsibility to set up what's right and what's wrong? Okay. Now, um, what about going to movies? Can a Christian go to a PG-13? Can a Christian go to an R-rated movie? Uh, what about having a TV in your home? What about Netflix? What about uh, going to Target and supporting Target? Should we boycott Target? What about Nike? Should we boycott Nike now? What are the rules? What's the Christian moral culture? And uh, th this is pretty problematic, don't you think? Why would this be problematic, potentially? It's too subjective. Absolutely. Can you find a hundred churches in Little Rock, Arkansas that agree on everything? You can't no. find two people. You, you can't. How about your spouse? No. <laughs> to make it easy, your spouse or your no. How, in, you know, hey, okay, I agree. We need to settle up on this. By the way, Justin Allison's PhD dissertation is about this. Part of it, anyway. How do you do moral formation? How do we, as the body of Christ, form what the rules are? You know, and at Christchurch, this is how we do it. This is how we do righteousness and how we, we stay holy before God and for each other. The problem with that is everybody's got an opinion about everything. The Church of Christ disagree with the Catholics and, and the Charismatics disagree with, with the Baptists and the Baptist, Southern Baptists disagree with the Missionary Baptists and it goes on and on and on and the non-denoms are trying to stay out of it and, and some people think, well, they're just avoidant and liberal, you know, and, and have no idea that, like, I'm more conservative than most of the conservatives I know. And, and yet, so we, we, we're just, we just can't hardly agree on anything, right? A lot of it's because we're not educated, for one. But this is really tough. If it's, if it's D, wow, wow, here's a problem. God is going to just willy-nilly let you make a decision about what's right and wrong? Can you see that? Whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. You pick. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll back you. Okay, it's loosed in heaven. Well, that makes God submissive to us. That's tough. Makes sense? So D, hmm, we got a problem here. All right, what about E? It's going to get thick. You ready? E, this text is about the language of restoration among believers. So Bruce... And, and his best buddy, Joe, get into a major disagreement, and Bruce thinks you cannot eat meat sacrificed to idols. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, there's a demon behind that. Why participate in what is demonic? And Bruce is proof texting, and his buddy Joe is proof texting, and they come to blows. They are so mad at each other. They, they exchange harsh words and they can't even sit in the same service now. And they're mad, no eye contact, got a little slandering going on, a little backstabbing, they're so mad, right? 
and things are getting bad in church and Bruce is going to gather around his people that agree with him. We don't eat meat to demonic meat, you know. And then poor Joe, you know, he's just he's free in Christ, you know. Come on, it's not that bad. He's got the grace of the Lord on him. He can have some meat. And so he's rallying his group. And now we're starting to divide the church. What if this is about saying, look, you guys better, better settle your issues. And you better learn to give forgiveness to each other. And if you don't give forgiveness, that will be held and accountable in heaven, and you better get it right. What if that's what this thing's about? Rick, yes, sir. Isn't there a scripture that says, uh, do not forsake a fellowship yes. because of unclean food? It, yes, it's actually integrated in several places, but yes. Hebrews 10.23, it's in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, yes. Yeah, you, you know, breaking fellowship is a serious matter. You know, And so what if this? Damaged relationships on earth are echoed and have ripple effects in heaven. Do you know any Christians that can't get along and can't forgive each other? Whew. Wow. This is a major issue. So what if, what if this is the case? E, all right, now F. This text is really about the final judgment of God. That's what it's really about. Because everyone knows that in the book of Revelation... Uh, the great white throne judgment that's coming, all the living, all the dead, the quick and the dead are all going to be brought and face the judgment of God and the issues of forgiveness and unforgiveness, the binding and loosing are all going to play out there in a dramatic scene at the great white throne. And so this is, uh, Andrew, is just kind of a prolepsis. It's just a precursor. It's a hint of what's to come. Does that make sense? That's an interpretation. And then, and then this last one here, this big one. This text is really just about evangelism. It's not complicated. It's about missions. You know, when the gospel is preached and persons believe, their sins are forgiven on earth and therefore in heaven. When the gospel is preached and a person refuses to believe, their sins are retained on earth and therefore retained in heaven. Simple. Done. That's what it is. And because of that, there's a lot of pressure on the church that we better be aggressive to articulate the gospel, particularly those with the gift of evangelism. But the whole church proper should be about telling the story of the gospel. Does that make sense? You got those? You ready for the pop quiz? Here we go. Which one is it? You can't say yes. <laughs> is there a surprise H? No. No. This is a good question, though. I'm capable of doing Select all that apply. What's that? Select all that apply. <laughs> right, right, right. So are you coming from there's I want you to. I want you to figure it out. <coughs> now, if you, what's that, sir? Well, and quite frankly, that's how we should be thinking. You should now. If you're at Williams and I'm your professor, what's the one thing I'll give you a free point for if you just write the word down? Okay, I want you to put this all in context. Look at your scriptures, and read the context, and then try to make a judgment call. So before you put GF. 
contextually, I was thinking through all of the Gospels and reading about that, the final appearances and everything that was said, and I thought, this is really about the Gospel, because, and it is. Because when you read Binding and Loose, it's always, it's also connected each time with go, you've got to go out and you've got to spread the Gospel. And so that one's when, the, when I read that, I thought, well, that's what I was just sitting here thinking. None of those matched with what I was thinking contextually mm -hmm. for each of the so, so let's, let's kind of get back a little bit. Let's, let's fly up to 5,000 feet and look at this thing, all right? What's the context? We're in John chapter 20. What just happened in John 19? Crucifixion, right? What happens in John 20? Resurrection, right? And who are the main people involved in the resurrection story? Mary, she's really the leading apostle, meaning sent with a message, go and tell, and these other women, <clears throat> Peter and the beloved, we think that's John, right? And they're gathering, they're hiding behind closed doors, the doors are locked, bolted, and Jesus appears to them and says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Is this missional language? Sure. Sure it is. Sure it is. Receive the Holy Spirit. Breathes on. Okay. Why would they need the Holy Spirit? Is this about speaking in tongues? Why do you need the Holy Spirit to do missions and evangelism? In this context. Is there somebody out to kill these men? Absolutely. If you go based on, remember the, the five things he sends him out with, mm -hmm. drink poison and not die. Sure, sure. And how about the fact that three times in this text, and then in the next few verses, he says three times, peace be with you. So they need peace, and they need the Holy Spirit, because they're about to face persecution. Makes sense. So this context really is embedded in the idea of John's version of the, the Great Commission. So this really is an evangelistic, missional context. Okay. So therefore, you're going to default to G? This text is about evangelism and missions. And it's about when people get saved, they accept the gospel and believe, they're born again, their sins are forgiven on earth. The sins are forgiven. It's echoed. You reject the gospel. You protest. You walk away. Your sins are not forgiven on earth. Echoed, not forgiven. Is it that simple? Or is there something else going on? When you look at Matthew 16, 19, and Matthew 18, 18, it's not necessarily this clear. Maybe there is something about discipleship going on here. What do you think? have a note yep. from the NIV mm -hmm. that's along that line. It says if you forgive, well, that's just a um, The intent of the word of Jesus has been much debated, but it seems right to say that God does not forgive people's sins because the apostles, or we do so, nor does he withhold forgiveness because the apostles, or we do. However, through the Holy Spirit, the apostles and the believers do participate in Christ's saving mission. 
mm-hmm. which has one of the crucial effects, God's forgiveness of the sins of all who repent and believe in Jesus as God's Son and the Savior of the world. And then there's another version that's a little different. The message has it worded like, um, if you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? Which is a a different way to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's about relationships, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody turn to Matthew 18. Now what we know for sure is that John had to have borrowed... Matthew 16, 19, Matthew 18, 18. He's got to have that in mind because this is the actual language, the binding and loosing. So when you look at Matthew 18, actually start at verse 15. Let's put it in in the actual Greek paragraph. If your brother sins, is this in group or out group language? It's in group. Is it evangelism language? Or discipleship language. It's discipleship. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile tax collector. I tell you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Does that sound like discipleship? It sure does. It sure does. Right? Again, I say to you, if two or two of you agree on earth about anything, that they may ask and it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. So how do you properly interpret John twenty twenty three? Very well spoken. So there's no need to pick just one. So which ones are make the most sense? D and G, but you know, and other G. people may pick out different ones, and that's why <laughs> yeah. there's yeah. a difference yeah. of opinion. Yeah. I, I see D in it. I'm going to agree with you, but I also acknowledge, boy, it's hard. <laughs> you know, but, but if you pray together, just think about it. What if a church really, truly prayed over an issue and studied Scripture and really diligently tried to work something out? I think good would come out of that. It'd be hard, though be really hard so do you think E the language of restoration hopefully you're trying to win your brother back right I see that anybody else 
coming and things like that because it's I think of our behavior it's kind of mentioned already but it really reflects you know we're coming to be Jesus in this world you know and how that really reflects it's like if you had an argument with your friend and you hold everything against him you're not knowing the love of Christ you're not knowing the resurrection Mm-hmm. And it's like if you're able to forgive him enough, he's going to see the forgiveness over here. And it's kind of like how we live, and that like directly reflects the reality of things. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the scriptures say that as I have forgiven you, so you should forgive. <coughs> sure. Okay, anybody else on which which interpretations make the most sense? Contextually, what's that say? I lean towards G. I just think that he's sending them out, and they have to have such confidence in being able to tell and say to people, Jesus forgives your sins, and by his power, by his authority, we're going to tell you that. Not the priest, but we are the ones communicating that to you. And it's only by the Spirit that they can have that. And I think it's a little bit uncomfortable for us because we're supposed to be able to do that. When we share the gospel accurately to someone, we should be able to definitively say, through Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, and have every bit of confidence in that, and not doubt. Absolutely. Because if we doubt, then how do we believe? Right, right. If, if we don't believe it in ourselves, how can we yeah. confidently tell it to someone and expect them to believe it? Yeah. And so we kind of shut up sometimes. Oh, Stephen, you nailed it. You just nailed millennial culture, in fact. So millennial culture is characterized by this. Questions are more important than answers. Millennials love to think and, and debate and bounce questions back and forth. But coming up with a solid answer, it's like they have an aversion to dogma. Like you can't really settle it. This is the answer. It's now unquestioned. A millennial would resist that. And I'm, I'm really being very broad stroked right now to get my, my idea, yeah. And it's like we're afraid to have confidence to really believe, really believe this stuff, yeah. So, I think you could eliminate some, some interpretations if you just turn back to John 12, I mean, here's Jesus. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. Mm-hmm. Right, you're looking at a final, kind of an eschatological coming well, judgment. Well, You've just unlocked Paul. Do you, 
can change. I mean, I guess I, when, I mean, the, the thought that I've had about this isn't up there at all, which is the idea that when we retain the sins of any people, it's usually because we're being, un, we're being bitter. And, and that's really not what's going on here. At yeah, at all. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? That we have that kind of power or that we are authorized to be that kind of a representative? What I'm saying is when we don't forgive other people, it just hurts our stuff. We, we hurt our own. Unless, mm-hmm. unless we are retaining for just cause. For example, you're sent out on mission and you come to someone's house and you are expected to give the peace blessing, the grace of peace on that home, right? And something mysterious happens. And if they do not receive you, what do you do? Two instructions. Take the take, no, no, no. The first instruction is take the grace blessing back. <laughs> it's that powerful. Take it back. Seriously. Take it back. You withdraw a blessing on this house, peace on this house. And then as you're leaving, because they've shunned you, you shake the dust off your feet. That's a very judgmental thing. And yet, we are commanded to do that. We're commanded. I guess I just misunderstood the whole thing. It's tough. It's a tough one. And I'm telling you, there's some brilliant, brilliant people on a lot of different sides of this thing, okay? Who've given their life to know Scripture. And men and women both. So, I think, Stephen, you're onto something, and you're onto something. Okay, it is challenging to interpret, but one thing's for sure, we better wake up to this, the gravity of this situation. We better not pass this over and, and, and assume that, well, whatever, you know, questions are more important than answers, and just, pat, and, and just let, it, let it go by. You know, turn the blind eye. No, 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 no. These are commands given by Christ to men and women. But I I think you always have to take the whole entire Bible Mm -hmm. to see what is contrary and not. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I guess I could go to my grave not having the answer and I'd be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing God ultimately is going to sort it out. Sure, sure. Sure. It's. It doesn't affect how I live my life every day to know whether it's C or G. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, you know. There's certainly some I don't like that I don't think makes sense and right. are a real right. far stretched to right. say exactly. that it means Agreed. that. Agreed. It was like, where do you get that? Yeah, baptism. Um, sure. But I can live with myself knowing that I sure. don't know the answer. Sure. Love is still patient. Love is still kind, isn't it? We still are going to be good to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because the bottom line is everything he said is based on love God and love others. Yes, yes. So whatever it is, it has to do with loving God and loving others. Sure, sure. Did Jesus say, what did, he, what did Jesus say to the 12 apostles? You're going to do what in heaven? Sit on thrones and judge. But I'm, 
Oh, I'm glad we don't have to do it right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. This is serious stuff, right? What if, um, what if it's about discernment? Like if you had the widow that gave everything, mm -hmm. offering in her heart versus the Pharisees that were acting righteous, but their heart was far from him, and it's not about, it's just about discerning which people are actually repentant versus the people that are not. Ooh, you're, you're brilliant, Angela. A woman caught in adultery. Does, least, does Jesus bind her or loose her? He looses her. Who was trying to bind her? The Pharisees, the lawyers, the Sadducees, right? Okay. And by the way, that is all. These are the stories of the gospel. There's a man. There's a woman who was bound by a condition for 18 years, and they watched him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus says. You know, you untie your, your, your bullock and bring it to water. Why can't she be untied, unbound, loosed from her condition? Woman, I say to you, you're healed. So binding and loosing, the stories are all through the Gospels, yeah. Yeah, which gets into whose repentance, which gets into an evangelistic uh, mission. What does Jesus say to the rich young ruler who comes up? He says, what do I need to do to get in? Keep the rules. Yep, keep the rules. Keep them all. Oh, yeah, he skips a few. And then Jesus reads right through the whole thing and lays down something binding. <coughs> Sell everything you have and come from him. And he walks away. His sins were not forgiven on earth and they would not be forgiven in heaven. At that moment. At that moment. Unless, hopefully, he turned yeah, around some later. Some people say that that time. was Mark. Or Joseph of Arimathea. And then later came back and did. Uh, we, we don't know. Wow. Various people. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Didn't work out so well. Not so much. <laughs> Not so much. How's that for binding and loosing? Yeah, carried out, bound up. Yeah, carried out on stretchers. Ouch. Yeah. So uh, I, I think we would do well to understand that our Christianity is something that we should take very, very seriously in this haphazard, you know, flippant kind of approach to faith is really unhealthy. It's really unhealthy. And you have the potential to have tremendous impact on culture. But if you're not sure what you believe, <laughs> and if you can't really even articulate the gospel, with confidence, then you know you're not in, in the game at that point. So, so anybody else before I throw a truth grenade at you? I've, I've been holding this one back. It's going to be so good, so good. Anybody else about this? Well, in light of in light of that statement, then how do we as a church hold each other accountable to grow and to make sure we each have reached that? You just so quoted the bulk the, of, of Hebrews. Yeah. <laughs> That's Hebrews. Yeah. Hold each other accountable, grow in a context of persecution. For us, the persecution is everybody's disheartened and they want to quit because we're just lazy. So. You have to submit first to accountability. That's the thing that just came in mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And then here's the stinger you've got to submit to flawed leadership. Do you realize what's going on in the Catholic Church right now? And they're on the cusp of making 
one of the worst decisions in their history. Potentially, potentially, I don't know. That's a broad, that's a big statement. One of a very serious and a very egregious decision is about to be made, right? So yeah, you know, what do you do when you have flawed leadership? How do we deal with that? So the, the, the issues of holiness and the issues of group accountability are tremendous and weighty. But we monadic Americans, that John Wayne spirit, I don't need you. I've got myself. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. That opinionated, tough pilgrim spirit, I don't need you, uh, will get you in trouble every single time. We should be dyadic. We should have the corporate sense of self. We literally become one. We are the collective one, not the individual island, the guy who's the separatist. So uh, it's toxic. Well, even we are helpless without God. So, you know, we can't. We think, oh yeah, God's part of the picture, but um, you know, in the Old Testament, what God would be upset about is when the people would not depend on Him. Yes. So it is our lack of dependence yes. on God yes. that alienates us from God. Absolutely, it starts. That's the root. Absolutely. And then we have a shared dependency, a corporate dependency on each other as we are all dependent on God. Yeah, it's a beautiful dance. It's a lot like marriage, isn't it? It really is. A lot like marriage. A lot. Uh, in, I want you to hear me in my confidence. Uh, context is everything, okay? One of the dangers that interpreters of Scripture get in is they try to do what is called a forced harmonization. You know what I mean by that? We, we think, well, you got to make all the Bible fit in this perfect package because you know it's supposed to, right? <laughs> and we forget that it gets really messy sometimes. we got to be careful with forced harmonizations because at that point, you're not listening to John and what John is trying to say. You're too intimidated by what he says. You almost don't like what he says. So you go to other passages that make you feel a little more comfortable and you try to force a harmonization out of it and, and therefore you feel better about it. For example, Acts 2.38 says that you've got to be baptized to be saved. It's like, it's the formula, right? And those of us of a Baptist persuasion don't like that because we don't believe in baptismal regeneration. So the Church of Christ lock onto that one. They love it. But we go straight to Acts 16, that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. So we let... And please have grace when you hear my rhetoric when I do this, okay? I'm trying to make you think. We let Acts 2.38 get hijacked by the Church of Christ. They hijack it, and we're afraid to deal with it because we don't like it. <laughs> well, we hijack Acts 16 from them, and they don't want to do with it. Believe, that's all you got to do, believe and be saved. That sounds weak, you know, so we kind of steal it from them. But the fact is, Acts 2.38 is mine. And I am not afraid of Acts 2.38. And I'm not going to try to force it through a grid that I like to the point that I miss the weight, the blunt, the, the blunt point of what Acts 2.38 is saying. It's okay that, that Luke said that. 
Luke didn't mess up when he said that. Okay? Jesus didn't mess up when he said, I am authorizing you for the binding and loosing of sins. It's not a mistake. And it's intimidating because we see ourselves as flawed, unqualified people, and the safest place to run is the place of mercy. It's a safer place. But the fact is, it is a responsibility. It is a mandate. And, and if, we're, if we're willing to do the work of rightly dividing Scripture, we've got to kind of get up under that weight and deal with it. Deal with the load-bearing pressure that this is something he laid on our shoulders and not deflect it because we're drawn to mercy. I'm not saying there are other views with other scriptures. Of course there are. We don't need to make Paul into John. You don't need to make John into Paul. You don't need to make Jesus a white Republican with a carry concealed license. You don't need to do that either, right? Jesus was a Jew. Don't make him an American, okay? We need to, we need to learn to let the text stand for itself on its own two feet and bear up under the weight. Now, there is a time to harmonize. There is a time to do that. And we get to try to tie this whole thing together. That in seminary is called systematic theology. When you try to get it all organized and categorized and, okay, I got it, I see the big picture. And you gotta do that too. But don't miss just bearing up under the truth of the, of the verses that are given. All right, you ready for the truth grenade? This is fun. I want you to use every electronic device known to man right now. I want you to tell me how many times the word forgiveness is found in the Gospel of John. One, two, three, go. Lots. <laughs> we have lots. Anybody else? I'm not going to come in. I want you to find out. I want you to search in the Gospel of John. How many times is the word forgive or any of the variants of forgive? Like forgiving, forgiven, uh, forgiveness. You can use any search tool you want. Any version you want. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky man. Not the NIV, because that's not really even a version. That's not easy. What's that? You ready? Anybody else? Anybody got an answer besides Philip? Only once, right here. This is it. Fascinating. It's the only place in the Gospel of John where the word forgiven is used. Now that doesn't mean forgiveness is not granted and doesn't mean the concept of forgiveness is not addressed. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus says, uh, in exchange, it's beautiful. Does Jesus say, I forgive you? 
He says, yeah, he says, I don't condemn you. Don't do it anymore. That's all. And she's loosed. She's set free. This is the only place in the Gospel of John where the word forgiveness is used. Isn't that fascinating? And yet it's the Gospel that says more about love than any of the others. This is it. Fascinating. Fascinating. No reference until here. I mean, John, John writes what we all are taught to memorize. John 1.9, we confess our sins and it's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Yeah. So it's not like the concept is unknown to him. It's that's, not unknown at all. Isn't that the one we all memorize? Absolutely. But in the gospel, it's the only time. How striking that he would withhold that concept. <coughs> and he knew it. First of all, the Lord's Prayer. Do you think John knew the Lord's Prayer? When you pray, pray in this manner. Parahamon ha and ha and they had it memorized in Greek. Now I'm forgetting it. Father of us, the one in the heavens. Parahamon ha entois uranois ha agios they to ta anamasu. There you go. Stumbled through that one. Uh, it's t- it uses the word forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. That's an insider concept, by the way. He was taught about forgiveness. John did. And yet, in this gospel, he holds it back until here. And of all the times to pull it out, wow. I authorize you, you have the authority to bind and loose forgiveness. That's amazing. All right. We've gone, we've gone over time. So uh, we're going to go into the Lord's Supper, and Stephen's going to get ready to... Lead us in song. Um, binding and loosing. In John 6, Jesus teaches us, us that if we don't eat his flesh and we don't drink his blood, we have no part in him. Not at all. And when we do eat his flesh and drink his blood, we are loosed. We are set free. We're born again. Abba Father, thank you. It is, it just, it's mind-blowing, it's convicting, it's disturbing that you would trust us with this kind of stuff. I ask for great wisdom right now in the grace that we get to partake of the bread and the cup and remember that you set us free. Teach us how to love you, love each other, and how to provoke each other to love and good works and to take discipleship seriously. Please, in Jesus' name, amen.